Hello, podcast friends. Just a friendly reminder, we are actually drunk when we do this and sometimes mess up. I couldn't even handle it when I was editing this week, so I'm giving you a side note. During my story about Effa Manley, I go back and forth several times calling Branch Ricky Branch Branch Richie. I just couldn't decide on a pronunciation of the last name. And secondly, possibly more glaringly, I definitely refer to Newark as if it's in Pennsylvania, near Philadelphia, regularly. I obviously know it's in New Jersey. So I'm telling you ahead so I can avoid a thousand emails. Love you. Enjoy this episode. to get all of this fiddle faddle chewing out of the way out of the way we have some serious <laughs> food going on um and fiddle faddle is the off brand of cracker jacks last I love week it. i know it's so good but like okay last week we specifically said we don't talk about sports well we said we do talk about sports because but that's what people don't come for that mm-hmm. but this week is we this unplanned again oh, this yeah. week is literally all about sports yeah now we did pair these women together on purpose mm-hmm. but we didn't know last week that this was next week exactly we're completely I blind we go into this blind <laughs> emphasize how little i look forward on the calendar <laughs> <laughs> i'm like it's like wednesday night and i'm like shit <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> i haven't done my research yet uh, that's okay because that's, okay. that's I, all right i haven't figured out yeah it'll be good because this is history on the rocks <laughs> with Katie and Allie. This is a podcast where we sometimes talk about sports now and famous <laughs> women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we are not historians. No, and no. we are drinking the whole time. <laughs> we are drinking the whole time and we already started. I actually have grown to kind of expect the cocktail ahead of time, mm. so much so that when we don't have an interview, I feel like I'm running cold yeah. on the first half. Isn't uh-huh. that weird? Yeah. Especially totally since agree. we don't do as many bonus drinks anymore because we're like trying to be grown adults. Right. Well, and also it's like you live further. I'm not staying for dinner. So it's like there's like all these like factors of like I literally cannot have like two cocktails and two beers. And, and drive like, home. It's <laughs> just unsafe. Home. No. We're like really responsible. Um, also, there's a lot of peeing involved. Yeah. Too, You've watched us grow, drink. everybody. You've watched us grow. We're You've maturing. grown with us. <laughs> like a fine fiddle faddle. We are yeah. maturing. I'm so mature. <laughs> I'm so mature. Um, okay. But you're here for the herstory. We're going to give you the history, but first... You're busy. You're so busy. You're, you're polishing silver? Yeah, sure. Polishing Why silver? not? Yeah, I mean, not at your own house. No, but you're about to have a garden party no. outside in your lovely garden, and you are polishing silver for it. I I hope. It's going to be gorgeous. I, can I come? <laughs> Where's the invite? After I'm done recording, you can just call me on over. So whenever I hear polishing, I always think of when I used to have to polish the bells for the handbell choir. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm, I don't I do a lot of polishing. <laughs> <laughs> I love to polish the bells. I thought it was like a really fun task. I want to get some trophies task. so people can polish my trophies. Mm, you know what nice. I'm saying? Yeah. Is that kind of like an innuendo, though? If you're a boy? question <laughs> yeah before we get to physical <laughs> do what do you do with your medals from all your races um i have them hung together on nails in the gym oh fun okay yeah and it's just it's not even all of them i just mm-hmm. like put a couple nails in the wall and just threw them up there yeah 
I love that. I saw an idea recently where people turn them into Christmas ornaments, and I was like, that's, that's good. That's Isn't that good. a great idea? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me so... chapstick for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll chapstick to that. <laughs> I love chapstick. Um, also, you love Christmas ornaments, so yeah. just put a hook on it. Is that a great idea? <laughs> if you like it, then you should put a hook on it. Yeah, um, that's hook exactly it up. right. Uh, so <laughs> Metals and fish. Hook them. I saw a tractor Unless trailer you're a one time. That's a hooking for life. <laughs> Got it on lock. It's perfect. So let's describe what these women look like. <laughs> We're going to get a little physical. 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 Wow. That was, that was bad. I couldn't, I couldn't stop laughing about hooking. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Damn it. It was hooking for a living. Hooking, that, which hooking for a living. Crazier than yeah, hooking that's, for life. That's crazier. <laughs> I don't think I like it. I nope. like cooking for life better. Okay. <laughs> who am I doing and what does she look yeah, like? Who, who is it? I'm doing Effa Manley. She is a beautiful woman of bi, possibly tri-racial descent. She could pass for white very easily, so much so that many people still argue that she was, in fact, 100% white. Huh. Um, but according to her, she was not. She is so beautiful. Like, I love her jawline, especially in profile. There's this really great picture of her where she's kind of quarter turned away. She's not smiling. She's got on this cute hat tilted to the side and has her gloved hand just (gasps) under her chin. And she's stunning. Um, She had short, pulled back hair, a long arching eyebrow, uh, and she was super classy. She always wore like a great collared shirt or jacket and a very classy hat. Yeah, she's giving Wallace Simpson vibes. Yes, that's exactly right. Especially the one where she's looking sideways with the Mm -hmm. hand under her chin. Mm -hmm. A beautiful photo. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Okay, what beautiful, amazing (laughs) sportswoman are you doing? I'm doing Erin Andrews. Erin is a tall, thin-toned, blonde woman. She has a long oval face with very, like, sharp features. Um, She has almond-shaped green eyes and this big, wide, reporter-ready smile. And she can typically be seen standing on a big green field with a microphone, chatting it up with some NFL players. Who are just like, (laughs) and like, she's a tall, pretty tall woman, and they're like towering. Oh, yeah. It's crazy how big those boys are. Yeah. Big, big boys. I, I love her presence because obviously she's also like in a courtroom a lot when you see her because Mm -hmm. of what happened to her um so she just always looks like she has her game face on and Mm -hmm. actually she did like a campaign for like uh she was a cover girl and that was like her slogan was like get your game get your game get your game face on the only way is through bitch (laughs) (laughs) wait that's under armor i don't know okay just do it so Do you want to know what you're drinking? Yes, I do. This is called a bittersweet first. Mm. And I tried to make a very like early ballpark drink. So it's like a peanut butter and jelly cocktail. (gasps) So it is peanut butter whiskey with strawberry jam spooned into it. If you feel like you little need a little more, you can put some strawberry liqueur in it as Mm. well. Orange bitters and then just cracker jacks on the side i love it buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks baby 
It does taste like an after-school snack. <laughs> it is a peanut butter and jelly cocktail. Oh, wow, it is. It's so funny because we joked about that years ago. And here it is. And here it is. I made it happen with Poor Olivia, even though she is pregnant and cannot drink it. <laughs> Sorry. Can we announce that on here? We did. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's public. It's okay. Facebook official. Facebook official. Sure. <laughs> I don't know if I liked that picture. Now I'm going to have to go back. Um, yeah. So I thought this was just mm. like early ballpark appro- appropriate, especially with Cracker Jacks. I love it. I think it's yeah, great. I really like it. It's fun. Having that peanut butter whiskey is sometimes a chore, but <laughs> a chore. working it in is fine. You know what? I, because the same company did a cherry vanilla oh, whiskey. Can we put that in Coke? Oh, no. We'd have a cherry vanilla whiskey Coke? Damn. Stop. Sunday? You sure? Yeah. Because that's Memorial what I serve as my like after dinner upper or digestif. Uh, can you just put a Christmas? teeth on anything sure. when it's after dinner? Okay. Sure. Good to know. Whiskey teeth. <laughs> <laughs> My nightcap teeth. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Tell me what you know about okay. Effa Manley. I don't know anything. Good. <laughs> I Good. didn't even realize she was a sports person. Yeah. <laughs> Until you said it. I was We're like, doing sports. That's why we did them together. Sports day. Uh, I literally don't know because... I guess you so you said ballpark, so mm-hmm. baseball, I baseball. guess. But like none of like if if you were to not tell me baseball, I would have looked in her pictures and been like maybe golf. Mm-hmm. The glove. I can see that. Um, but yeah, I don't know anything about her, so I'm super excited. Good. Learn. And also I do want to clarify that Katie and I are talking about banger season. Mm-hmm. It's either people who are so well known or people who should be so well known. Yes, people with, like outrageous stories. Right. Like this story should be well known. And that's why I feel about my person too. Erin like, is people amazing. should know her story. And like what happened because yeah. what was done to her was atrocious. Awful. Atrocious. Mm. Okay. So let's talk about Effa. First of all, my sources, I read the children's book, First Woman of Baseball. I read Wikipedia, obviously. <laughs> I read the Baseball Hall of Fame website. I read her memoir uh, called Negro Baseball Before Integration. And then the Bad Hops podcast hmm. did a two-part episode on her. Wow. Um, just specifically her, and they broke down a lot of things about, like, I'm not going to break down exactly all the information about like how the Negro League started and this, that, and the other. They just give a lot more historical grounding in terms of baseball where I'm just talking about this woman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Effa Louise Brooks was born in Philadelphia, older sister city Mm -hmm. on March 27th, 1897. Oh, um, So I have a long note here about her race. This is probably one of the longest times I'm ever I've ever talked about race before in like terms of page length Mm -hmm. because every source is different. And I I need this to be as accurate as possible for Mm -hmm. her. So Effa's racial background is not completely known. Her biological parents may have been white, but she was definitely raised by her mother and a black stepfather. Um, Her mother's name was Bertha Brooks, and she was listed as german but also as native american and in all of the american census data she's listed as black which i think they just used black as a term for color term for like any any person of color yeah so but there's no evidence of african ancestry that has been proven that we know of most uh, assumed that Effa's stepfather was her biological father. So her skin tone was dark enough that you would assume that maybe she was a person that was biracial. Um, 
The book called The Most Famous Woman in Baseball by Bob Luke said that she was born of an extramarital union between her seamstress mother, Bertha, and her mom's white employer, John Bishop, who was a stockbroker. But then another guy, Daryl Russell Grigsby, said some insist she was a white woman exposed to black culture who identified as black. Regardless of her ethnic origins, Effa Manley thought of herself as a black woman and was perceived as such by all who knew her. But then author Ted Swartz wrote she was a white woman who passed as black. She could stay in any hotel room she desired. And she kind of seemed to enjoy the confusion Mm. over her skin tone. Mm. Um, When she was out with a black man or with a white man, it confused people either way because it looked like a black man with a very light-skinned woman or a white man with kind of a, you know, woman of color. So the children's books that she is in, she is shaded in as a little bit of a darker complexion because Mm -hmm. she, in her memoir, memoir, um, says that her mother was of color and her father was her mother's white boss. So that is what she says. And um, her lighter complexion allowed her to pass, which really put her in an interesting social situation. She first saw this with segregation in her schoolyard. When she was in first grade, she's running around with her friends. Her principal calls her off the playground and says, why are you playing with all of the black kids? Because Philadelphia had integrated schools mm-hmm. And she is growing up in a family of color and is of color, but is passing as white. So people are like, why are you with the black kids at school? Well, and this is just bringing up like an interesting just idea that mm-hmm. like, because we can't pinpoint her, it like, wh- it shouldn't even be this big of a conversation, right. but it is because of our history. You know exactly. what I'm saying? And that's why like, it is kind of hard. Like, it kind of feels like that, you know, fucking racial draft. Yes. <laughs> it's like, like, how should we treat her? How should we? Yeah, exactly. That's so terrible. It is terrible that it's like the principal has to be like, wait, who should you be playing with? And she's like, why can't I just play with the kids I want to fucking play with? Like, Makes no sense. It's just, it's interesting that now it like has to be such a, like, like you're saying, like, this is a very long explanation which at the end of it, the answer is we don't quite know. Yeah. <laughs> we don't quite know. Yeah. Um, all we know is what she said in her memoir and then what mm-hmm. everybody said about her and then yeah. census data. Yeah. Um, that her mom was maybe partially of color. Mm-hmm. Like, we just don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, she lived her life in the circles of being an of color American in the late 1800s, early 1900s. So mm-hmm. that's where she was existing. Yeah. Um, so she learned to navigate her ambiguous race at a very early age. She graduated from Penn Central High School in 1916, where she completed vocational training in cooking, oral expression, and sewing. Right after high school, she moves to Harlem, Mm. which is, at this point, a mecca for black culture and music and business because the... Black businessman Philip A. Payton had launched a real estate company there in 1904, and when the Italian and Jewish people were migrating out of Harlem, he decided he was going to rent to black people. So Harlem just became a black epicenter. She moves there. She gets a job as a milliner, which is why she's always in fucking cool hats, because she knows how to hat make. She was moonlighting as a model because she's so freaking beautiful, and she's like a Harlem socialite. And she meets her first husband. 
husband, Charles Bush, who she's only married to for a year. But she's in New York. So, of course, she's a Yankees fan. (laughs) Now, I could have said, of course, dot, dot, dot. She's a Mets fan. But none of you would have been expecting that. (laughs) None of you. Also, Orioles beat the Yankees this week. I know. A treat. (laughs) Suck it, assholes. But yeah, she, I mean, she's a Yankees fan. She would go to the stadium at that point where they played, which was Polo Grounds. And she loved to watch Babe Ruth and would go to see and hopefully see him hit it out of the park. A Baltimore native, by Mm -hmm. the way. We have his birthplace in our hometown. Yes, we do. If you ever want to come say congrats to us. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Yay, Maryland. (laughs) But we stole Edgar Allan Poe, so suck it. (laughs) Fuck you, Philly. New York and suck it. Philly? What did I? Wait. Philly. New York? Yeah. Yeah. For Babe and Ruth. Philly. And Philly. Because and we did the, the opposite thing yeah, happened to did. both of us. <laughs> We're terrible. Okay. So at the Yankees stadium, she meets Abe Manley. He is 15 years her senior, but they bonded over their love of baseball at a World Series game. What a meet cute. Ugh. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Okay. At a World Series game even? I'm imagining he's sitting next to her and like she like they start talking about baseball and he's like, what? She knows shit. She knows baseball. Baseball. Yeah. Like and just being like, this is what I've been waiting for. Mm -hmm. Like, this is fantastic. Yeah. I love this. Like a batter comes up and she's like, shift. Shift. (laughs) (laughs) And everybody's like, whoa. Eat shit and live, babe. (laughs) That's going to be my new baseball insult because I saw it because it was in a movie recently. This little kid is literally going up to bat and he goes, eat shit and die, Ricky. And he goes, eat shit and live, Bill. <laughs> I was like, that wow. is my new saying. Wow. <laughs> um, I was talking about taunting pitchers with the girls because obviously Caroline plays softball. Mm-hmm. And I was like doing the pitchers got a big butt like, in the car. And Eliza goes, wait. Is that like, was that a bad thing? <laughs> I was like, wow, here, here I am. <laughs> with I'm very outdated. <laughs> I got pie on my face. <laughs> I look like an idiot. <laughs> we want a pitcher, not a belly itcher. <laughs> it was, it was grand. I want a single. Okay. So she meets Abe. And it's a meet cute and they fall in love and they get married in the 1930s and they buy an apartment in Mm. the Sugar Hill neighborhood along with Thurgood Marshall, Duke Mm. Ellington and Cab Calloway. Can you imagine the neighbors? I can't imagine it. Imagine (laughs) it. I'm picturing the, the boys of Sugar Hill gang living in their apartment like a century later. I don't even know what Sugar Hill gang is. They were like the hip. Up, the hip oh. the up. <laughs> like the early rap group that's named after that area. I love that. Okay. Yeah. That's what I'm picturing in my head. Okay. Uh, I wasn't sure if you were talking about the Buttercream Gang. Don't know who that is. Which was a VHS that we had. It was a Christian movie. Mm. I think it was like the Christian answer to the outsiders. Wow. <laughs> Called the Buttercream Gang. <laughs> Forget the socias. Forget them. Ask producer. He knows that I'm t- texting him right now. What do you know about the Buttercream Gang? <laughs> I'll text him in a minute. He's busy, like He's working. So busy. <laughs> busy businessman. Okay. Solid neighborhood. 
where she lives because Abe is like really wealthy. He bought her this five carat engagement ring from Tiffany's and she loves telling the story of walking into Tiffany's kind of looking like a little white woman with this big wealthy black man and having everybody just be like, oh, <laughs> what is happening? This is, <laughs> this is like 1930 in New York. It was a great story she liked to tell at parties. So she... Could have sat back and did nothing, but she didn't. She did the things she was expected to do, like buy fur coats and like orchestrate parties. But also she got very involved uh, with her community and with her husband's businesses. So she's very aware of the financial struggles of the black community in New York. So she's at dinner in 1934 and she's sitting next to William Davis, who's the editor of a black newspaper. And they have this conversation about how hard it is for black women to find jobs in Harlem. All they're doing, she's like, they're doing domestic work for white people and being paid literal peanuts. Like it's shit. So during the conversation, she tells him about this department store in Harlem called Bloomstein's where, Black people constantly shop, but they won't hire any black people. 75% of their receipts came from black people, but they refused to hire any of them as salespeople. They would have some as janitors or like elevator operators, yeah. but like no like big people of color are working there. So she gets together with a reverend from the community named John H. Johnson, which terrible. That's like Ben Ben's, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Steven Stevenson. Deep, deep personal cut. <laughs> She gets together. <laughs> Guys, it's been a long cut. We were just searching Facebook for someone. Okay. She gets together with Reverend John H. Johnson, a.k.a. Ben Benz, as per previous story. And they enact a don't buy where you can't shop campaign. Oh, okay. Like a boycott. A boycott. <laughs> <laughs> a campaign and <laughs> across the country white people are making a ton of money off of black people coming to their stores but black people can't make a living there so they boycott for six weeks they march in front of the store and the owner of bloomsteins finally calls them in for a talk bloomsteins bloomstein or bloomsteins oh okay it's just interesting. There's a Bloomsteins and a Bloomsdale. Bloom Bloom yeah, it's not Bloomingdale's. Okay. It's Bloomsteins. I also don't know why. They're totally different now that it, there's an ing. Yeah. But I mean, you know, Bloomsteen. they're both okay. in New York. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> You're right, Katie. Feel good. I'm right. Feel good about you. I'm always right. <laughs> I'm proud of you. So um, she's really blunt with these men. She's most likely the only woman in the room. And she's like, look, guys, you care about your daughters. We have daughters, too. And they all have to work as maids or prostitutes. That's what she says. You know, sex workers is the correct term. Uh, and they're like, oh, don't say that. Don't say that. That's uncomfortable. <laughs> That's uncomfortable. And she's, <laughs> she's like, no, I'm here to tell you the truth. Like, if you don't want your daughters doing that, neither do we. Like, we're not lower than you. So fucking fix it. So they do decide to start hiring black women to work in the store and it's mostly middle-class black women and light-skinned black women but by the end of 1935 300 stores on 125th street employ black clerks hmm. she enacted that amazing so famously jackie robinson breaks the color barrier in 1947 changing the world and the negro leagues and baseball but that's not where this starts. I was actually very naive to what was going on in America. I thought there was one Negro League, and I thought that 
nobody played baseball together until Jackie Robinson. Yeah. I was, I I was very incorrect. I didn't know. So 1855, the first official baseball game happens ever. It's in Newark. 1855. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty early, right? Or you think late? I would have thought late. Well, also, first what official. am I thinking? Like before they play, they have sticks and hoops. Before right. This, this is the I first mean, official baseball game. 1855. Okay. And we were founded in 1776. Yeah, so, so really, when you put it in that Less than 100 years. Okay. Now mm-hmm. I'm not so shocked. Sure. <laughs> Three, whatever you say okay good <laughs> three years later the first league was organized it's black teams white teams teams of mixed race they're all playing against each other and that lasts for about 10 years everyone's huh. playing together but then black players were banned in southern teams oh. so then they have to start kind of changing things around so by 1886 the colored and the mlb just like the mlb is not one league it's the american league and the national league Mm -hmm. there are multiple conferences right yes and they're playing against each other and against themselves Mm -hmm. the negro leagues were the same it's not one league there are multiple negro leagues that are playing against each other and against themselves um, but even in the 1880s, there are a number of pro teams that had black players until racist players and coaches said, we won't play against you if you have black players. So they either had to bench their black players for those games. And when I say black, I should say people of color because there were, you know, Hispanic oh, men. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they would either have to bench their people of color, cut the people of color from their team or just not play that other famous team which makes your organization look stupid Mm -hmm. so abe manley effa's husband quote owned with all his money the newark eagles which is one of the teams from new jersey in the negro leagues okay he was a handshaker hobnobber he involved her extensively to own the club She is the manager of the Newark Eagles to the point where this is considered Effa's team. She (sighs) took over day-to-day operations of the team. She arranged playing schedules. She picked up players. She planned the team's travel. She managed and met the payroll. She bought the equipment. She negotiated contracts. And she handled the PR and promotions for the entire team. What? She is a very professional businesswoman and wanted her team and the Negro League to be run like a well-oiled machine. And it wasn't always like that. And that made her mad. She was a big PR machine. Thanks to her, the, there were at the um, Newark Eagles inaugural game, there were 185 VIPs present, including Supreme Court justices <gasps> and mayors. What? And this is at a Negro League baseball game in 1935. She, they had to lease out ballparks. The black players would have to p- pay to play in ballparks. Um, on opening day, she had both teams march to the center of the field. She had a black marching band playing. She got the mayor, LaGuardia, to throw out the first pitch <gasps> at this game you know like the airport and so (laughs) many people are so interested to come see these games there are white people coming regularly to watch games played by the negro leagues in 1930 though she's not just concerned about her team she's concerned about the entire league and wants them to be taken very seriously and there are obstacles to this business because their best players keep getting poached off 
They're going to the Dominican who's paying them more money. And Mexico is picking them up and paying them more money. And she can't keep anybody. And money was a big issue in black baseball. For her team, paydays were the 1st and the 15th of every month. And she would always make the deadline promptly with every player, no matter what. Also, if she saw you on the street as a baseball player, you better have clean white socks, your shirt tucked in. You better be walking straight up because this was your job and she was your boss. Mm. Like she wanted she wanted them to be taken seriously because she knew they were under scrutiny yeah. from the higher ups. And people were saying, you aren't a real baseball league and you're not professionals and, you know, you don't know what you're doing. And she's like, no, we do know what we're doing. Yeah. So she also pushed the other owners in her Negro League to report their game scores immediately to the papers. So she is streamlining the process so that there are box scores in the papers after every single game. She wanted it to be reliable and for people to know what was happening she felt that the national negro league should elect a president that was neutral this never happened and it almost made her want to leave the business in general she also for her team advocated for better scheduling better pay accommodations she got her team an air-conditioned clipper bus to go from game to game which was unheard of (laughs) for the negro league back then Among the Eagles players during her ownership, many ended up becoming future MLB stars. But she was very critical of Branch Ritchie, who, if you know, he signed Jackie Robinson and is often considered a huge baseball hero. But she felt that the Negro Leagues deserved compensation when players were taken. Oh, they're yeah. they're poaching players and never talking to the managers. And then the managers of those teams that have contracts are never getting paid. She thought it should be a partnership between yeah. the National Minor League and the Negro League, almost like a farm club. Mm-hmm. Um, she met with them. Wait, what is a farm club? So a farm club would be like the double A or triple A teams where like they come and watch you play and then they pick you up if they think you're good enough to a minor oh, league team. So farm, okay. they're trying to farm out players pretty oh, much. Okay. And she was like, I think that, yes, I'm fine with the Negro leagues being a farm club, but like only if we as a team are getting paid for the great men that we're training, right? Like yeah. we're spending so much money like, on we're these doing guys. All the work. Yeah. Oh, like- and finding the talent and you're yeah. just taking them. And Ugh. then we lose profit because nobody wants to come see our games. Cause we don't have any all-stars. Yeah. Cause you're taking all of them. Right. Which is so, <laughs> so frustrating. Um, so she met with them, uh, but saw that there was no chance that they were going to listen to her and they didn't take her seriously because not only was she black, but she was also a woman and she was also a visionary trying to change something that had never been changed before. So in 1945, she gets a phone call from the secretary of the Brooklyn Dodgers. Not Branch Ritchie didn't even call her. The secretary called her and she says it is the strangest press conference she's ever been to because she goes in and sits down. She decides to attend. And um, Branch Ritchie comes up and says, I'm going to lend support to the Negro League. She's like, oh, that's great. By creating my own Negro League, like going over top of there, saying theirs is not good and they're not sanctioned. So he's making one for the MLB specifically, saying that the others are not legitimate. Big Q, big eye roll from Effa. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, sure. We're not we're not legitimate. 
even though you've been taking all of our players. Right. That's how illegitimate we right. are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and at this point, I don't think he's signed Jackie Robinson yet. I kind of like jumped back in time. But okay. it's like you can tell that's what he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I want to be clear here. Effa is not against integration in baseball. Oh, yeah. She was against um, managers using black players just for money and leaving the entire black community behind. Kind of like that's, the stores. Yes. It's, it's like, like, yeah, you you're can't just use us. us yes. But you're not employing us and right. putting money back into the community. It's like, because if you're not employing the community and you're just selling shit to them, mm-hmm. then you're not actually investing back into the community because nobody who lives here is getting paid to work here. Right. So, like, there's no benefit. There's no benefit. (laughs) And it's really hard. And I think that's why she was upset. She was like, she kept trying to set up meetings with Branch Rickey, and he never responded to her. She came to his conference, and he would never answer her. That's so irritating. And it is hard, too, because he is seen as such a hero because he did put his neck out on the line to get Jackie Robinson there, but it was for his own gain. Yeah. Like, as the Brooklyn Dodgers, like, and, and I don't want to, like, downplay that event because it is so amazing what the Dodgers did and what Jackie Robinson did and what Branch Ritchie did. But in the long run, it was for his financial gain. Yeah. So um, if I get playback for that, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> she said, if you are so interested in Negro baseball, why didn't you contact the presidents of our leagues? And he goes, I did. One of them didn't respond. And the other one said no. And she's like, God, I've been trying to organize these boys all by myself and no one will listen. Because the thing is, they thought that it was destined to fail. And they were right. Richie was trying different things to integrate baseball. And this one didn't work. He didn't have an in with all of the players of color. Um, so it's October 1945. This is like two years before the Dodgers signed Jackie. She got the chance to showcase her league with the Brooklyn Dodgers. They have a double header where they face off against a white team. Now, before they would do this against minor league players, and it would be kind of like a scouting opportunity, so it was very uncommon for a black team to play against a major league baseball team. She convinces them to go on a five-game streak, and they do. The Negro League teams lost every game, but they were competitive and close. And, of course, during the games branch is recruiting just a few weeks after the end of this season is when he signed Jackie Robinson and Effa's all for integration but as I said just wants fair compensation for the teams and the players so she helps write a letter from the two Negro leagues about how um, they they don't like the way branch Ritchie is coming in and poaching their players and they sent this letter to the new commissioner of baseball, Happy Chandler. They don't hear back. They're um, bypassing ownership a little bit, and they're like, hey, Happy Chandler, come to this conference we're going to have. He doesn't come, but he's like, oh, I'll schedule a meeting with the two presidents of the Negro League. So she's obviously not there, but they invite those guys in. And they say, okay, we can do this under three sanctioned things one adopt a constitution similar to the major league baseball Two, make sure the players have ironclad contacts and or contracts and three build your own stadiums to decrease third-party booking and f is like a that's waive the rights to intellectual property Mm -hmm. b 
B, I wanted it to run like that for years. Yes, give me good contracts. But three, we can't build stadiums. Who's building these stadiums? Where are we going to get the money? It's <laughs> yeah. too busy. It's too time-consuming. And in the meantime, Branch is poaching more and more players. It kind of feels like that thing of like, oh, it, all right. <clears throat> Maybe I'm thinking this because I just watched the 1952 or whatever Cinderella. But it kind of feels like when she's like, oh, yeah, you can go to the ball. But you have to finish all of your chores Clean and make the a walls dress and, and the carpets. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and yeah. And it kind of feels like, oh, yeah, you can do what you want if you com- if you complete this impossible task. Right. Because they know that you're never going to do it. And that's what's so frustrating. Yeah. They were purposely putting up roadblocks and yeah. obstacles to keep keep these people down, which mm-hmm. is unfair. So they go Branch Ricky goes after players on her team and they take some, but she's like, you know what? I'm, I had contracts, but I'm not going to do the legal action thing. I'm just going to write him a letter and ask to meet with him. And again, he never answered. She had her sights though. She was like, you know what? All that's well and good. I can only control what I can control and I can control my team. She has her sights on winning the Negro league world series and having, you know, having that really big joy for her and the Philadelphia community, who's a huge blue collar sports community in Philadelphia. It's like their lifeblood. So in 1946, after 12 years in the league, they finally won the Negro league world series. (sighs) It was a seven game series back and forth, back and forth. It was incredible for the Eagles. They had great attendance of people of all different races. Mm. It was just a big celebration for Philadelphia. She's excited for the next season. They did pre-season season things. They had been starting to sell tickets, but then all of a sudden, ticket sales are dwindling because everybody's taking their money and buying tickets to go see Jackie Robinson, oh. especially on the East Coast yeah. where he is. Like the Eastern Seaboard, like the Midwest is still buying tickets to Negro League games, yeah. but not on the East Coast because mm-hmm. the Dodgers are right here. We could see yeah. him play in a Major League Baseball game. Mm-hmm. So after two years of this, they kind of went under, and she had to pull the plug on the team. This was a bittersweet moment of progress for Effa. And Wendell Smith, who was a writer back then, is like, man, it was like Effa Manley was divorcing baseball. Oh. Like, we can't really do this without her she had her face in everything she was in the faces of the owners and the presidents of the league she wasn't just sitting in the box watching the games you know she owned the team her husband was just the cash yeah and she was the manager so her and her husband abe sell the eagles for fifteen thousand dollars to the midwest the stipulation is any major league baseball team that buys a player from you must split the cost with the new owners so branch ricky as soon as she's gone swoops in and tries to buy one of the players so she gets an attorney and shows them the contract and richie instead of paying the team for the player releases the new player just fires him come on so now he's like she feels like she's crushing the dreams of these players because this man just won't pay a couple thousand dollars. Which is like nothing to him. Right. It's nothing. So she reaches out to the Yankees and the Giants and the Giants bought him from the team. And this guy ends up becoming a future Hall of Famer. <gasps> and it set up a precedent that all owners started paying Negro teams for their players. Oh, my god! Because of what Effa did. That's insane. I know. 
So with the money, the half of the money that she got for that player, she went out and bought a mink cape and was like, <laughs> this is what I deserve. Which also shows you how much mink coats and capes are. That's uh-huh. unreal. And like, okay, animal rights. Like, let's yeah. not. Okay, Cruella DeVille. Yeah. Calm down. <laughs> you don't need that. Um, I just want to say, though, while all this is happening, like all the while, everything I've been talking about, she was the treasurer of the Newark chapter of the NAACP <gasps> and often used sports to promote causes. Mm-hmm. At her stadiums, they had anti-lynching days. During World War II, she would make sure that entertainers showed up for the segregated black troops in New Jersey that were barred from USO club events. Um, at this time, most black people in Philadelphia were barred from practicing medicine, but due to her stadium and the Newark Eagles, they raised money for the Booker T. Washington Community Hospital, which offered training for black doctors and nurses. Oh, my god! And they raised enough money during her games to buy medical equipment for these people. What? She also helped raise money for the Black Elks Lodge, which was a major urban black social life community. And she was so well-loved by the community because to the Newark Eagle Games, no kid ever had to pay. Every child could come to every game for free just to see baseball. Mm. But by 1981, Effa's health had deteriorated to the point that she could no longer live in her apartment. Mm. So she moved to a rest home owned by a former Negro League player, Quincy Trope, when she got there, uh, she wasn't there for long before he was like, I think this is beyond us. You should go get checked out at the hospital. So she went to the hospital and they said, you have colon cancer. <gasps> um, and she never went back to that community home because not but two months later, she died of a heart attack <sighs> in the hospital. It was April 16th, 1981, only four days after Joe Lewis died, who was like her sports idol. Oh my gosh. Effa died with that being that. But then, in 1966, this is before she died, Ted Williams, when he was being inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, said in a speech, I hope one day we put together the names of the amazing players in the Negro Leagues to go into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Forty years later, in the summer of 2005, a committee was put together to nominate members of the Negro League. Ninety-four names were offered up, one being Effa Manley who was nominated for the Baseball Hall of Fame as the owner, not the co-owner, as the owner of the Newark Eagles. They inducted 17 people that year out of the 94, and she was elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame in February 2006 as the first and only woman so far to be in the Baseball Baseball Hall of Fame in Coopersfield. I was going to say, there can't be many women... That's it. And I think they are going to do something similar with the the women of, like, the League of Their Own. Oh, Soon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because right now, like, they were just like, okay, we need to do something about the fact that nobody from the Negro Leagues is in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Yeah. That's not okay. No. And she, they picked 17 people, and she was one of them. And it's really cool on the website. It doesn't say the only woman. It says the first woman. Oh, like yeah. leaving it very leaving open, it open. Yeah. to like there are women who have inspired this sport. And Effa Manley, a, I mean, a Philadelphia legend, a baseball legend, mm. a Negro baseball, le- a civil rights warrior. Yeah. Like 
Why don't we know about her? I don't her? know, it's but she's insane. so cool. And what a great name, too. I know. Uh, right. Epa Louise that. Brooks Manley. Like, calm down. <laughs> That's so great. Also, my middle name's Louise, so I love you. Yeah, I just, I got really inspired with this story because I was like, that's how much like little things that you do matter. Yeah. Like even mm-hmm. if it doesn't make sense that it matters in your life, like just standing up and being like, that's not okay. Well, and um, I feel like it's such a great story of being confident in what you know, mm-hmm. because she could have totally been bogged down be like, you're a girl. You don't understand baseball. You know, like you don't really get it, yeah. you know? And she could have been like, Oh yeah, maybe I don't like, maybe I'm just parroting. Maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm an imposter. Like maybe I don't actually know what's going on, but she had such confidence in herself to be like, no, I do understand this game. And I do understand the business Mm -hmm. of the game. Like she can see the whole fucking picture. And that's so cool. Ah, I loved her. And who doesn't want to marry a wealthy man to sponsor to sponsor their <laughs> activism? <laughs> Excuse me, please. I almost forgot about old Abe. <laughs> Abe. Ugh, okay. Perfect. All right. Well, let's, let's get, get another sports girl, and we'll get another sports girl. Yay. <laughs> Sports number two. Sports number two. <laughs> this is like the most athletic episode I think we've ever had. I think so. Yeah. For sure. Uh-huh. I love it. I lo- it's just the time of year. Yeah. Well, I do feel that because like I find that like our cocktails that we make and the like, people that we cover like very much reflect the season that we're in. <laughs> yeah. Like we do all those scary bitches in, in October. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I feel like, you know, our cocktails are lighter and fresher and like, I don't know, just like. I feel like there's a new energy when we do seasons in the spring. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're like a little baby chicken. Exactly. It's a baby chicken. So do you want to know what you're about to drink? Yeah, it has a beautiful basil hairdo. Yes, it does. I love <laughs> it. So this is called Like a Linebacker. Um, so it is basil, lemon peel, and sugar uh, in the bottom of a cocktail shaker. You muddle it together. You add ice, gin, lemon juice, lime juice, and a dash of cardamom. Uh-huh. And then you shake it all together and you top it with club soda. Cheers. So refreshing. <laughs> wow. I like that a lot. That's a ladies' lunch drink. It is a ladies' lunch drink, especially because, like, it is light on the booze. Mm-hmm. Like, it's mainly, like, club fresh soda, juices, yeah. club soda. I love the cardamom in it. Like, very great. Mm. Yeah. That's delightful. All right, so what do you know about Aaron Andrews? Um, Aaron Andrews is a sideline sports reporter. She is very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was very easy to notice yeah. uh, in the game and on the sidelines. And I know that a couple of years ago there was a scandal because of a perv. Mm-hmm. But I know you're going to tell that story, so I'm not going to tell that story. Because yeah. it so- is like the main thing with her yeah. yeah um so yeah that's what I know about Erin Andrews and she's been working for a while I mean most of my adult life I remember seeing her on the sidelines of football games yeah um every Sunday yep. so that's what I know about Erin Andrews all right well let's get into it so my sources are a really great article by Emily Kaplan I took a lot of like 
straight up quotes from that article. It was really good. Uh, and especially quotes from Erin herself. Uh, and then Megan Kelly did a two part interview with her that I watched the whole thing of. And then of course, Wikipedia, um, Obviously, like we said, there's a big scandal with a pervert in her story, and that's going to be like the main brunt of it. Um, but there are other like interesting things about Aaron. So just a heads up, you know, it that part is really upsetting. Right. Um, so just a warning there. Um, but just take caution. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, if if you have had issues with um, stalking mm-hmm. in your past. Yeah. Okay. Aaron Andrews was born in Lewistown, Maine, to Paula Andrews, who is a teacher, and Stephen Andrews, who is a broadcast journalist. He's an <laughs> Emmy award-winning broadcast journalist. Hey, Dad. Hey, Daddy. Uh, she was born on May 4th, 1978. So that is Star Wars Day. Uh, her family moved <laughs> Why to... Why isn't she named Leia? <laughs> I don't know. Well, her... because she was born in 1978. When did Star Wars come out? A New Hope, I think, came out in 79. Ooh. Wow. Okay. So they didn't even know. I think <laughs> it might she be was 80. It might be Star Wars before it was. Cool. Yeah. She was like really great. <laughs> <laughs> Her family moved to San Antonio, Texas when she was five years old and then to Valrico, Florida, 18 months later, where they ended up staying and building their family. Oh my gosh. Um, she's like a world traveler before she's like before two. Before she's even alive. That's crazy. That's crazy. So she had a little sister named Kendra, and together they were just a simple, close knit. Florida family who loved sports. Hey. <laughs> sports was something that Erin and her father bonded over her whole life. They especially loved basketball oh. and were big Boston Celtics fans. I was going to say, <laughs> did they love the Florida Gators? No. We should have Gatorated this drink. They were Northeast team fans. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. Bless you. Her and Effa alike. Bless you. <laughs> and one thing that really affected Erin when she was young was seeing the few that were there, female sportcasters on TV. Women such as Hannah Storm, Melissa Stark, Leslie Visser, and Susie Colber showed Erin that one day she might actually get paid to do her favorite thing in the world, which was talk about sports. While in high school, Erin was a member of the dance team, the student government, and the National Honor Society. But she said, being a total tomboy, she didn't have as many close female friends. Um, she usually found camaraderie with the boys at school because she felt like they spoke the same language. You know, it's always hard when, like, there's that one thing that you're interested in, your friend group isn't, and then you're bringing it up, and it's, like, crickets. <laughs> They're like, I don't care what the 49ers are doing right now. I mean, <laughs> women's history would yeah. be my thing. But everybody's exactly. like, uh, I don't care. Don't, don't care. Uh, following graduation from high school in 1996, she attended the University of Florida. While in college there, she was a member of the Zeta Tau Alpha Sorority and the Florida Gators Dazzlers Dance Team. <laughs> And they called it Gatorade. Mm -hmm. She graduated in 2000 with a BA degree in telecommunications, and she did not waste any time. Uh, Almost immediately after graduating, she got a job with Fox Sports Florida as a freelance reporter. From 2001 to 2002, she served as a Tampa Bay Lightning reporter for the Sunshine Network. From 02 to 04, she covered the Atlanta Braves, the Atlanta Thrashers, the Atlanta Hawks for the Turner South Network as a studio host and reporter. And then in 2004, she hit the big time with a job at ESPN. Which, that's crazy. Yeah. And I mean, so I'm right. My entire adult life, she's been working for ESPN. Yes. Because that's when I graduated from high school. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't remember a time without Aaron Andrews. Yeah, Like in my scope. 
She was first hired to cover hockey, and then she expanded to baseball, covering the College World Series and the Little League World Series. And after just a year, she moved on to Major League Baseball and college football. So she may not have been a household name quite yet, but she is succeeding in a male-dominated field and absolutely kicking ass. But she said it was difficult. You know, she's talking in this interview with Megyn Kelly, and she was like, the stakes are always going to be higher for me. She goes, if I stumble or hesitate on any question, the assumption is, I knew she was a phony. I know she doesn't know anything about sports. That fucking proves it. So she was like, I literally have to be researching all the time. I can't just like passive you know she's like of course like I love watching sports so like it's what I do anyways but she's like I feel like I have to know every member of the team and every manager and every coach and like I feel like I have to have all of this backup information because someone's going to try and call me out and say that I don't actually know what I'm talking about right so and of course her looks were always on the forefront of her career she was voted America's sexiest sportcaster in 2000 and two, or sorry 2007 and 2008 by Playboy magazine but still despite some of the pitfalls of being a woman in the industry things are going really well for Erin i mean she's on ESPN covering sports it she's living her dream it's yeah. great <laughs> but then in 2008 Erin is having a totally normal day when she gets a call from a friend, she knows something is wrong because he is crying and he is trying to tell her something. And what she makes out is he says, there's a video of you naked all over the Internet. Aaron says, well, that's impossible. Like, you must be mistaken. She's like, I've never done anything like that before. I mean, she, you know, we talked last week about Vanna White doing that lingerie shoot because mm-hmm. she's a struggling model and a struggling actress. And, like, she literally went right from college to broadcasting sports like there was no downtime for Aaron so she's like that's impossible like I've never done anything like that she didn't like do it on the side it's like even though Playboy had reported that she's the world's sexiest like sportscaster she had nothing to do with that no they voted that exactly and he goes just go online she said she found it within two minutes and was calling her parents because she was in shock and didn't know what to do The video pictured her naked in her hotel room, walking around completely, I mean, just completely completely nude. nude. And her first thoughts went to, I'm going to lose my job. The career that I've worked so hard for is over because no one will take me seriously after they've seen me naked. And unfortunately, immediately, this, this news story that went along with this video of her naked walking around her hotel room was that Aaron had paid someone to film it and release the video herself as a way to further her career and gain publicity. And even ESPN was also believing this narrative. And they were like, you can't return to work until like you figure out what's going on and give us like a public statement. And like, it was just like really shitty. And then, so she's in shock. She's like, I'm gonna lose my job. And ESPN is like, I don't believe you. People are like, you did this. And she's like, hold on. This video is of me walking around in my hotel room. Who took this video? How did they take it? Because Aaron was like, I obviously didn't do it. And I obviously obviously didn't release it. So it's kind of like the shock comes in and then everything blows up. And then it's the reality is setting in of like someone spied on me 
Like, it's almost like that was kind of like an afterthought. Well, yeah, because at first you're just shocked. You're embarrassed. Yeah. You're scared. And then you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Where did it even come from? Yeah. Was my hotel room bugged? Is mm-hmm. there somebody watching me? Is there somebody stalking did, me? Did they know where I live? Right. It's the, like, it was kind of like the shock happened. And then, like, the the reality of the bigger situation kind of settled in. And she's like, oh, my fucking God. It like, went from what? shock to fear. Exactly. Erin said the time immediately following the incident was extremely difficult. She said, the day that I got the phone call that this was on the internet, I didn't want to get undressed. I didn't want to change my clothes for two to three days. I was so screwed up. I was disgusted with myself. I was disgusted with my body, with being naked, and that everybody saw that it was me. I stopped going to my gym for six or seven months because I was afraid of people seeing me working out. I had this mindset of, oh my gosh, everybody's seen me naked, and they're going to think to themselves, she should be so embarrassed. That's terrible. And I would feel that way. Yeah. And she said she was like, when I saw it, she goes, I wanted to take 80 showers. Yeah. She was like, I felt so disgusting and I felt violated. And like. Well, because oh, also God. like you shouldn't have to do this, obviously. But like if you are in a planned nude photo shoot. You're sucking in. You have a light on your side. You have angles. And, like, Erin Andrews is a stunning woman. But nobody looks perfect walking around their ho- hotel room, bending over to pick up a towel. Yeah. Like, and I have n- purposely made a point to never Google this footage. No. Like, I don't want to know no. what happened, what it looked like. But, like, I know that if I'm just, like, walking around, lazing around, I'm not, like, sucking my stomach in. Mm. I'm not, like, worried about my angles. I'm just, like, drying my fucking hair and shit with a towel. Yeah. So I'm sure she's I I mean that's that's just so like gut-wrenchingly embarrassing. Yeah. And like I've never had to worry about that when like I get undressed in the evening. like I'm never like oh my gosh this is happening again. Mm-hmm. And like she said she's like I didn't want to take my clothes off anywhere. What if they have cameras days? in your house? Cuz she, like, she I didn't know what was happening. Ugh. And the video wasn't just circulating online. The New York Post put the images from the video up on the front page. The early show played clips on their show. Fox News showed stills of the video. Like, it is everywhere. It's not just, like, something that pervs are seeing on the dark web. This is on the front page of newspapers. Even her dad had to go on medication because he was so distressed by what was happening to his daughter. And this all eventually led to Aaron and her father going to the FBI. They went to the FBI. The agents took her into the room and she had to watch the video in its entirety with the FBI agents, which was horrifying. She said it was so distressing, distressing that she was like, I think I'm going to throw up. And her dad was like, go for it. He goes, honestly, anything like he's like, you need to let it like you need to just like let your feelings fly right now because if you don't they're gonna think that like you were behind this so she just threw up all over the fucking fbi interrogation room perfect <laughs> honestly perfect. like i mean i no, but yeah it's like being so gut-wrenched that like you are literally your muscles are clenching so yeah. much that you're regurgitating yes yeah that's exactly how it feels and like it must have felt so good for her to like have her dad there and he goes let it fly throw up all over this fucking room right like you know just be like yeah i'm gonna do it then because like i'm so sick to my stomach get the suits baby yeah exactly 
she said like she's like i understand why because she goes they had to partially like gauge my reaction to like see if it was legitimate that i had no idea where this video came from and she goes and i you know also then had to keep watching it with them because we had to figure out where the fuck this video took place she goes so like she's in hotel rooms all over the country i forgot about that exactly she goes i'm a sports reporter i follow teams i'm all over the country i'm literally every moment of my life basically is in a hotel room she lives in hotels yeah so it's like one shitty painting to another exactly oh my god so thankfully they like blurred her body after the first time they blurred her body and like continued watching it just to see if they could spot any clues that might indicate where she was and she goes and like by the end of the day we had it it was the marriott in nashville tennessee right by vanderbilt university so they have the location and now they just need to find out who stood outside of her hotel room door and filmed her through the peephole because that's where the video was taken she said in the video she could hear him breathing and even worse she could hear people behind him in the hallway so she goes I knew that at some point people walked by this gross man filming a peephole into a hotel and they let it go say a fucking word it's just beyond, you know, and so now they're trying to, like, figure out who it is. So they're like, we assume it's a stranger, but then she's getting paranoid. She goes, is it someone I know? Is it someone I work with? Have they been to other places? Have they been to my house? And now she's just spinning because she's like, obviously, like, I had no idea this video was taken. So, like, how long has this been going on? Right. She's snowballing. Yeah, she is. Um, they eventually uncovered that it was indeed a stranger. A 46-year-old man named Michael David Barrett, who had been stalking her for a while. He had followed her to three different hotels, one of them as far away as Wisconsin. And this, the video that leaked was taken in Tennessee. Disgusting. Yeah, so he's, he's legitimately a stalker. He's le- yeah, yeah, he is following her. And apparently, employees at the hotel not only told him what room she was staying in, but also agreed to place him in a room next to hers. That's really upsetting because, like, so this does – it does happen um, to male athletes sometimes, especially, like, young male rookie athletes. Like, there are women who will follow the teams and then, like, underhanded pay somebody to let them into the guy's hotel room and then they'll just lay naked on his bed. And, like, they have to call the hotel and be like, remove this woman from my room, please. Dude, what like the f- Oh. That happens all the time to men, too. So, like, yeah. the fact that, like, hotels should be well-versed in yeah. not letting this happen. Yeah. Yes, they should. <laughs> so, Michael David Barrett was arrested by the FBI on October 2nd, 2009 for interstate stalking, and he pleaded guilty to the charges on December 15th, 2009. On March 15th, 2010, he was sentenced to two and a half years in prison, three years probation, and $5,000 in fines and $7,366 in restitution. He served his sentence at the Seattle Community Correctional Center and was released on July 3rd, 2012. And because she said she did not feel like this was punishment enough, and she did not feel that the Justice Department was taking stalking and cybercrime seriously, she goes, not only was he following me, but he was releasing videos of me naked on the internet like this 
you're not taking this seriously. So she followed lawsuits against her stalker and the hotels in which the stalking took place. The Marriott fired back and then tried to subpoena all sorts of records on Erin. They were seeking her payroll records, her contracts, her performance reviews, any disciplinary records, as well as other employment information, physician letters, notes, annual physical reports, and other like related medical records. Yeah. Which, like, why the fuck do you need that? Because any tarnish they can put on a woman is exactly. going to make her look like the bad guy. I So when this video like came out, um, like Jake and I were youngly married and like we're pregnant. So we were like at home a lot. So we watched a lot of football and a lot of ESPN because we had cable. And I remember that their main avenue, a lot of people were like, who walks around naked like that in their hotel room? And it's like, who cares what the <laughs> fuck she does in your hotel room? Like she's paying for that space. Yeah. And it's not like the windows were wide open and the film is in front of her window. Right. It's a peephole. That is a, that she was doing this entirely in private and people yes. were still blaming her. It's, it, it is ridiculous. The reaction that people had, you know, and then people would be like, huh, well, if I look like Aaron Andrews, like I, no, wouldn't I, care. Would, I wouldn't care. Like, you know, she looks great. What is she so mad about? It's like, whoa, what? I'm sorry. Excuse me? What? I can't I cannot ask enough questions about the reaction that people had. Like it's, I, it's so rude. It's awful. It's so terrible. And now you have the Marriott trying to discredit her and trying to like I don't even I don't even know what they're the fuck are trying to do with these records. They you know? were trying to find her Achilles heel. Exactly. That's all they were looking for. Yeah. And so all of this meant because she decided to go this route and to sue these people, which she had every right to do, it meant that she was in court for years mm -hmm. talking about this incident that made her feel personally and publicly violated. And then she said she didn't expect this to happen, but they had to play the video for the jury yeah. in this lawsuit case. And she goes, can we at least blur out my body? And they said no. That's Which, bullshit. They blur out crime photos all the I time. Know. And I'm guessing maybe it came from her lawyers to be like, if it's blurred, they don't get how you felt seeing your full naked body. Okay, that you could know? be. She, it, but she was like, I thought I could handle it. But I, I had, she's like, I felt like I was getting violated all over again because it's more strangers seeing my naked body. And at this point, I think the video had had like 68 million views online. And so she just left the courtroom because she was like, I, I can't I can't be here again watching people experience this. And then she had to walk back into the courtroom knowing that the jury had just seen her naked body. And she was like, I just felt like they were looking at me different. And can you imagine how much you talk to yourself and shit while you're in your hotel room? I yeah. just ugh, I just can't. But she said she got through it by imagining that she was on the offensive line for the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> she was like. I just kept being like, I'm a football player. I am powerful. I am doing this because I am strong and capable and like I am going to get them. And like I am on the so I don't know if a linebacker is on the offensive line. Yeah. I think right? and the defensive line. They both have linebackers. Perfect. Yeah. So yeah. That's <laughs> I named the cocktail that just because it sounded good, not because I knew what a linebacker was. Yeah, sure. But but yeah, but she's like, I am on the Green Bay Packers, because that's like one of her favorite teams. Mm. And so she was like I can do this. 
the jury ended up awarding her $55 million. And she was like, I was not expecting it. Because she goes, who gives a shit what, you know, how, like, like, basically, who gives a shit that, like, a young, beautiful sports broadcaster woman who's, like, already wealthy, who cares that it made her upset that this happened, you know? Because she was kind of like, people aren't going to take this seriously because she's like, my life on the outside didn't really change much. Mm. You know, she's like, I got to keep my job. She goes, I'm still broadcasting sports. I'm still moving forward with my career. So it was kind of like, how am I going to convince them that like, I have to do a double take every time I get undressed in my own house. Yeah. It's those types of things you can't, qualify you can't and like i think it's so interesting that a jury of you know your peers agrees because it's very rare that like somebody in a victim situation like that gets a full jury to agree that yes that is a violation and i think everybody pictures themselves alone Mm -hmm. doing the weird thing that they do and like getting filmed yeah and they're like, oh, yeah, that's I don't want that to ever be on the Internet. So I totally understand. Like, yeah. it makes you feel embarrassed. Yeah. So they found her stalker 51 percent responsible and the hotel management company and, you know, its owner 49 percent responsible because obviously, like, there is information they should have never given out. Like, they should have noticed that because also he had flipped the peephole around. Because the people normally go the other way. And you can see outside, but not inside. And he had altered the door and flipped the people. Like, there was was so much room for someone to stop him, and they didn't. Right. But no amount of money can erase the emotional toll that this took on her. I mean, it took Aaron years to get the video scrubbed from the internet. And this is so fucked up. In order to do so, she had to buy the copyright to the video she had to buy her own body body and so now that she could officially sue any website that refused to take it down because she's like i had all these lawyers we were asking to take it down they're like we're why? not why what's in it for we're, us yeah what's yeah. in it for me i'm not gonna do it now that they could now that she could sue them it's like okay well now <laughs> there's something in it for me um being near strangers can be really difficult from her for her because she said every time someone does a double take or stares at me for a little too long it's not oh it's because i'm I'm aaron andrews it's not because i'm you know field side reporter aaron andrews it's because maybe they saw me naked and she was like i was on a plane once and this guy is sitting next to me and he's like looking at me and then i see him pull out his phone and he googles me and then he's texting his friend like oh my gosh i'm next to aaron andrews on a plane and she was like i just was like can you stop she goes, I'm a real person, and that makes me really uncomfortable that, like, you're doing this, like, right next to me. You know, she, like, I don't know. It's just, like, everything is now flipped in her brain. Right. Because she has been so publicly violated. She it's- can't even, like, jo- enjoy her celebrity. Exactly. Which, like, I know it gets yeah. annoying to some people, but then, like, this isn't just annoying. This yeah. is, like, a true violation of her mental health that, like, she yeah. can't enjoy the job she has because she's worried about yeah do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. that's terrible it is terrible and you know and then again it's like the attitude of some people like how bad was it really like you know well like she you know pretty good for her career right and like you know it's just like 
a lot of bullshit like that. Mm. Um, but Aaron Strong, Aaron Strong, and she got through it. Uh, she continued working from 2008 to 2010. Uh, she took a little bit of a break from sports and covered the Scripps National Spelling Bee. <laughs> um, and in 2010, she competed on the 10th season of ABC's Dancing with the Stars. In 2012, she made the switch from ESPN to Fox Sports, where she became the first host of Fox's college football studio show. She also became a contributor, uh, a contributor on Fox NFL Sunday and served as a field reporter for the most major sporting events aired on Fox, such as the MLB All-Star Game, the World Series, the NFL Playoffs, the Daytona 500. Uh, and then in March 2014, she became the new co-host of Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> Did you know that? I didn't know she was a co-host. No, I did not know that. Uh, so she started on the show's 18th season and she stayed on for uh, until the 28th season in 2019. Wow, that's a long time. <laughs> so her career is back on track. And in 2012, she begins a relationship with professional hockey player Jarrett Stoll. Uh, things are going really well and she feels like she can just focus on work and put the past behind her. She even negotiated with Fox to exclusively cover the NFL since that's where her passion really was. Mm -hmm. She's like, I like hockey. I like baseball, but she's like, I'm a football girl. Like I want to be on the sidelines of football games exclusively. So she's doing that. She's having a great time. But in 2016, she's at the New York giants training facility in a meeting and while everyone's preparing for the upcoming game, she sees her doctor's phone number pop up on her phone. She excuses herself only to get some terrible news. She has been diagnosed with cervical cancer. What? Yeah. This is in 2016? Yeah. I had no idea. She is devastated. But she decides not to tell anyone yet, and she still covers the game that weekend <laughs> stays and works and then she flies home to LA to be with her boyfriend and just to deal with this life-changing news and her surgery was scheduled for October 11th and before she was wheeled into the operating room at Cedar sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles she gave strict orders to her oncologist she goes I am not watching any football games from home this is Fox's Super Bowl year, and I am not missing the Super Bowl. So for anyone that doesn't know, the coverage rotates mm -hmm. every year. So like one year it's on Fox, and the next year it's on NBC, and the next year it's on CBS. Yeah, yeah. Just to, you know, because... Spread it, the wealth, baby. Spread the wealth, honey. Let's do it. Um, so she's like, this is Fox's year. This is not going to... It's like... <laughs> she's like, this is not going to come around for another couple of years. So like, I work for Fox... I'm the sideline reporter. I need to be there. So get the surgery done and do yeah. it well. <laughs> exactly. And don't release footage of my cervix. Her boyfriend is like, okay, let's not worry about the Super Bowl right now. Like, <laughs> you have cancer. Let's deal with that at the moment. To which she responded, you would never miss a game. You would play through any in injury. Do whatever it takes to get back out there. She goes, that's going to be me. Yeah. Because fuck cancer, right? Yeah. And sure enough, Two days after surgery, she was on a red eye from L.A. to Green Bay, Wisconsin. Sure she was. She filmed a feature with Packers wideout Jordy Nelson on Friday morning, and that Sunday she worked the sideline of the Packers-Cowboy game at Lambeau Field. She said 
should I have been standing for a full game five days after surgery? She goes, <laughs> let's just say the doctor didn't recommend that. <laughs> Make sure you sit down, Erin. But just as I felt during my trial, sports were my escape. I needed to be with my crew. And of course, her dad was with her that whole weekend, making sure she was okay. <laughs> he was like, she did lay down a lot more than she normally does. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't really okay, but she said about this time, after the trial, everyone kept telling me, you're so strong for going through all of this, for holding down a job in football, for being the only woman on the crew. And she said, finally, I got to the point where I believed it too. Hey, I have cancer. But damn it, I am strong and I can do this. So she had this surgery. She's back out there. But her doctor called her and said there were still some cancerous cells. So they recommended a total hysterectomy. She got a second opinion and got a less invasive procedure. So she didn't get the full hysterectomy. Um, so she did have one more surgery. And then on November 17th, the doctor called her and said the tests were clear. There would be no need for radiation or chemotherapy. It was great news, but all of this meant that Aaron might not be able to get pregnant. There's still a very slim chance, mm -hmm. but it is not very likely. This was devastating to her, especially because she was with someone that she was like, I thought that we were going to be together and have a family and like, you know, make this sports dynasty. Right. Like, you know, she had all these visions in her head. But Jarrett proved that he didn't care about any of that, and he proposed to her a month later in December of 2016. They were married a few months after that on June 24th, 2017, and they are still together now. Aww. And she says, you know, he doesn't have all his teeth, but he does have a lot of scars and from hockey, and they're very sexy. <laughs> sexy hockey scars, mm -hmm. for sure. Erin has continued her amazing career in sports while also doing other fun things like hosting the Country Music Awards, becoming an official cover girl, and having her own line of, like, sports clothing. Oh, yeah. She's worth millions. Oh, my gosh. So much. Easily. She's been through a lot, but she still has her game face on, and she's ready to tackle any more shit that gets in her way. <laughs> Good for Erin! Thank That's God. Erin. I... I oh. knew what was coming in that story. You know what's coming, and but it's, it's still awful. I've seen, like, just pictures of her crying in courtrooms, and it's just devastating. Yeah. It's so hard to watch. Yeah. And you know what else is sweet? I was reading in that article that I mentioned um, at the top by Emily Kaplan. She was like, one of the things I didn't expect was, like, years later, after all this happened, she's like, with the rise in social media... She goes, male football players are having things like this happen to them, having their privacy invaded. And she was like, what I didn't expect was for like, these big, giant, bulky men to be uh -huh. like, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Like, and like, I didn't take it seriously when it happened to you. And then it happened to me. And I'm so sorry because it feels awful. Right. And then to like have this thing in common with them and for her to be like, for them to be like, we live very different lives. <laughs> And I know what you went through. Right. And it fucking sucks. And that's not to say, like, obviously there are some NFL players that have really done terrible things. Yes. You know, like, we're not talking about, like, Ray Rice's, like, mm. no, 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 no. We're talking about, like, the abuses that I was talking about earlier. Exactly. And, like, the, I know, like, in hockey, the literal name for them is Puck Bunnies. Yeah. 
they follow men around yes, they do. and like try to get into their rooms yeah. and it's like a lot of these men are married like yeah. with families like mm-hmm. and you know as much as i joke that all athletes are like <laughs> cheating on their significant <laughs> others like a lot of them don't want those sexual advances exactly. and it's not okay no, so, it's not. It's it's really nice that I feel like Aaron is getting a lot of the retribution that she now deserves, especially yeah. because a lot of the guys that she covers on the sideline were teenagers Googling her when this happened. Yeah. And that is so fucking hard. Yes, it is. I cannot imagine having to do no. a job with... I just can't imagine. Because well, I, I forget how young football players are because they yeah. look so big and yeah. they're wearing helmets and all this padding and like... No. Lamar Jackson, the current quarterback for the Ravens, is younger than me. Yeah. Which is outrageously disturbing. And I think Erin Andrews is almost, you said she was born in 71? Uh, 78. Okay, so she's uh, eight years older than me. Yeah. And, like, all the football players are at least 12 years younger than me. Yeah. So they're almost two decades younger than Erin. Like, exactly. So, yes, she is now a silent reporter with a bunch of boys who were teenagers when this video leaked it. And, like, and this is early days of the internet. Like, and that's another thing that I think she's experiencing is like, she I, was early cyberbully, early cyberbullied. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like Monica Lewinsky. Right. And, uh, and Britney Spears. And, exactly. People and just who like, were torn to shreds on the internet that did not fucking deserve it. No. And uh, again, women, even like Paris Hilton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Women specifically who like, there was no one coming to their defense in the early days of the internet. No, I mean, I'm reading this really cool book right now. This does have to relate, <laughs> I swear to God. And then we'll do just the two of us. Um, and this was going to be my promo, so and it's not, so this is perfect. I'm reading a really cool book right now called On Our Best Behavior, The Seven Deadly Sins and the Price Women Pay to Be Good. And it's how like obviously the seven deadly sins are not in the bible they were mm-hmm. written by a 14th century monk and it's how they were used to make women good people and mm-hmm. to make men powerful mm. so it's like constantly like she is seen as gluttonous or lustful for mm-hmm. being naked in her hotel room yeah whereas like a men who watch the video there's nothing wrong with that Ex- yeah mm-hmm. and it's like well that's not fair actually like she deserves to be pissed and then like oh why are you mad because you're making your millions now you're greedy yep. it's like no i'm not greedy yeah. like i'm just literally trying to get my money for like you violating me mm-hmm. i don't know it's a really interesting book so if you are it's very like technical it gives you a lot of like real factual timeline information that's so, so interesting yeah all right, perfect. Well, now we need to talk about these two women together in a segment we call <laughs> Just the Two of Us. Uh, we just call it? We don't like to call it that anymore? What? <laughs> you usually go, we like to call. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that we call. We don't like that. We don't we like just, it. Yeah, we don't we like to call it. We just do it. We just, we just call just, it we're that. We're doing it. We're affirmative women now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no more wishy-washy. Um, wow. Okay, so... Women in sports. But what I love about this episode is neither of them are players. No, they, they are not. They are just women who love and genuinely understand the game. Mm-hmm. And I love that because I was talking to my grandmother last week. As I said, I watched the Orioles game with her. And I was like, oh, mom, like, I was like, did you play? Because she loves baseball. And mm-hmm. I was like, did you play with, like, your neighborhood friends when you were a kid? She goes, oh, heavens no. Like, <laughs> of course I didn't. Like, and it's like. I kind of forget sometimes that like you can love something without 
doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and like even when I was really into football and watching like ESPN Red Zone every weekend in the early 2000s, like if I made a sports comment in the middle of the conversation, people talk over you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like these women were refusing to be yeah. talked over, refusing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think it, it comes into play that not only do they understand the sport, but they are good at socializing. And mm. that's what really sets them apart. Because like we were saying in the Effa story, it's like she's not backing down from like what she knows. She's not like, OK, maybe maybe I didn't quite understand why they made that choice to rotate the pitchers and put in the relief catcher whatever you know she's like maybe i didn't understand why they did like i thought i understood the strategy like they were not they are not second guessing themselves mm -hmm. they're like no no this is what i know and i'm going to talk about what i know even if people are going to think the way whatever they think about me right because you can have that like i watch men disagree on sports radio all the yeah. time but if a woman has an opposing opinion it's very different exactly which is where the conversation comes in that both of these women understood the stakes were higher yes well and they were spokespeople for something bigger than the sports so like they're seeing sports and they're like oh this is bigger than just like a fun game like for effa it's like Racial justice is at stake. There is something happening to players of color that is so fucking unfair. Right. And like, if I can do something about this with the power that I have, like mm -hmm. I am going to do it. And I feel like Aaron was doing the same thing with like, okay, this shitty thing happened to me, but I do have a platform connected to sports. So now it's like, I am going to be a spokesperson for like, victims of stalking because right. she's like when that happened to her she goes nobody's taking me seriously yeah no one understands that i feel scared all the time well, because stalking is an invisible crime exactly yeah because <laughs> you could go through your whole life never be stalked again but that one incident makes you feel like you are it sure. totally it disrupts your trust and i feel like both of them have their trust disrupted in the system absolutely like, i was supposed to be able to be in this business make my deals get paid what i'm owed and i'm not and aaron's like i'm supposed to be in a hotel room for work that is private and it wasn't and they're both being diligent too yeah. that's what's yes. so frustrating yes. like that they're getting violated and mistreated even though they're diligent mm -hmm. like Effa's out there making her team tuck in their shirts on the weekends. Like, she is, like, very specifically, like, no, the Newark Eagles act this way because we are a professional ball club. Yeah. And Aaron is a professional sports announcer. Yeah. And is, like, I'm going to study my facts late into the night mm -hmm. so nobody calls me on my shit. It's that diligence. Right. Because they're, like, again, the stakes are higher for me and people like me. So, like, I have to be perfect mm -hmm. which is so unfair because they're also both of them are kind of doing the things that they're supposed to be doing and like being cute and being nice and like socializing and like doing all this stuff and they're also pushing the boundaries mm -hmm. like i feel like both of them are, are doing that just with their presence yeah they're like oh where's the line Bloop. Yep. let me just step over exactly. it <laughs> just a little bit <laughs> i just want to be cute about it but I mean, they, they, I mean, both of them also, it took them years to get the money they deserved and yes. were owed. Yes. Like they had to fight and go over and over to the 
the men in charge mm-hmm. and say, this is what I deserve and here's why. And for mm-hmm. a long time, people didn't take them seriously. Well, it feels like we're at that impasse with uh, women's soccer right now. Yes. Of like, no one, want, no one wants to pay women with sports money. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but there's this mental block of like, well, men's sports made this popular. Uh-huh. So like they should get paid first. And like, you know, women will maybe get some of the leftovers. And it's like, at this point, we talked about this in the Mia Ham episode. Women's soccer in the U.S. is more popular than the men's soccer. And makes like, more revenue. And makes more revenue. So, like, you can't even use the argument anymore. So, that, like, people the used to use the popular. revenue argument. And, yeah. like, I used to agree with that. I was like, yes, I understand revenue. But also, you're not playing women at primetime. So, yeah. they don't even have a chance have for a chance. revenue. Which yeah. was, like, the problem with the Williams sisters. Mm-hmm. Where it was like, yes, we might not be making enough, but you're not playing our games on television. And like, they are obviously women who made more than men in their counterparts. And then obviously the women in soccer, it's a similar thing where now it's like, okay, the system is set up wrong Uh because we're not on prime time. You're not selling our jerseys. Quote, little boys aren't buying our jerseys, but also you're not giving them the opportunity because they're not cutting boy sizes. Like you're doing (laughs) it on fucking purpose. Like there are so many things like a girl can squeeze into like a boy's jersey. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. They're boxy. You cut them a little. You make it a belly shirt. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. Whatever you want to do with it. It's not the same way with girls clothes. If you cut it to a girl's body, it is a female outfit. Right. And yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so frustrating because you're using capitalism, but still the people are making them a certain way. And that's your fault. Exactly. People could well, buy it if it was made for me or them or you or whoever. It's the, whole, it's the stadium argument again. It's like, well, yeah, you can have equal billing if you build your, build your own stadium. They're like, what? I don't know. <laughs> you're literally cutting off my legs before I can fucking run. <laughs> like, what? I don't understand how to do that. I'm not an architect. I am a manager. When it's like the whole problem is we're team. not getting paid enough so now you want us to take our negative dollars and build a stadium and you're taking any good players we have yeah Yeah, it's just really frustrating and I think I think Aaron felt a lot of that yeah it was like you want me to come to work but I don't want to come to work but you want to fire me you want to say I did this but I didn't do this but I have the right to do this right and you're not going to let me do my job until I publicly speak out against being publicly humiliated and like prove to you that like I didn't take a clandestine video of myself in my hotel room like what like because it's so clearly like an invasive shot well and i also there is a certain uh what do i want to call it like thing about legal action too Mm -hmm. where like i feel like if you choose to take legal action against someone like people like well why she the guy went to jail. Like, why did she feel like she needed to sue him as well? And it's like, because he got two years for yeah. <laughs> ruin, like, really affecting her mental state for the rest of her fucking life. Like, and then I feel like Effa had the same thing where she goes, I have to be very careful with how litigious I get. Right. Because she's like, for a while, she goes, I'm not going to sue. I'm not going to sue. I'm not going to bring a court case. And then at some point, she had to. Mm-hmm. Because she's like, we had this agreement and then you like broke the rules or whatever it was, you know, but like, I feel like there are some lawsuits that are maybe you're like, okay, that's a little frivolous, but then it means that like other people's lawsuits and them trying to get justice kind of gets put 
into that umbrella. It's like the McDonald's woman. It's like right. people thought that the McDonald's woman was just another frivolous lawsuit. No. Like she's stupid. Coffee's hot. And it's she like. She had like third degree burns. On her vagina. Yeah. On her like, clitoris. Literally. Like yeah. Her whole, and like a 90 year old woman had her fucking genitals burned off. And like right. people were like, <laughs> idiot, coffee's hot. And it's like. No, it coffee should, should be never, warm. It should never be that hot. <laughs> yeah, it should be warm. Burn your, make third degree burns on your body. Like, yeah, that's insane. No. But yeah. Like, but everybody understood it when it was um, O.J. Simpson. They were like, oh, yeah, he lost the, the, yeah, they lost the criminal trial, but then they won the civil trial. You all get it. Yeah. Don't pretend you're stupid now. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. There's a difference between a criminal trial and a civil trial, and yeah. you know it, you dumb you know fucks. It. Yeah. it makes me so angry. Well, that's why I love that Aaron won both. Yes. You know? Good. It's like, Well, I guess like the first one didn't go to trial because he pleaded guilty. Yeah, which but is why still. he got less time. Which is, yeah, exactly. So, ah. I don't know. Beautiful. This was so fun. Wow. What a fun night. Well, it was funny because like I was like I like they're both in sports, but like how much are they gonna have really have in common? But I feel like it's just women in sports will always have a kinship, of course, because the system is not built to support them. <laughs> Anyways, who would you like to toast this evening? I want to toast being a stand-up person when you're surrounded by idiots, <laughs> and uh, I just to quote. Michelle Obama, when they go low, we go high. I love it. Cheers. I am going to toast girls who fight back. I love that she sued the hotel and that guy. I love that. Also, like, I didn't see anything else about this, but, like, then she, like, tried to, like, partner with a senator to, like, get more anti-stalking bills passed. Hell, she's like, yeah. We need to fight for people who this happens to. Like, I just, I love that she fought back. I love that she was like, I'm not just going to shy away and like pretend that this didn't happen because it fucking did. And it mm-hmm. sucked. Um, and she's like, and I'm going to fucking cry and throw up in front of anybody. Bring it on. Who doubts me? <laughs> I'm going to throw so up. cheers. <laughs> All over you. All <laughs> over you. All right. Now, what would you like to promote in pop culture this week. What are you enjoying? So last summer, I promoted the book Daisy Jones and the Six, which I love. Did you ever end up reading it? Mm-mm. Okay. It's on my Audible. You can this have is it. by Taylor Jenkins Reid, right? Yes. Okay. I'm reading love Seven Dresses of Evelyn Hugo right now. Perfect, perfect, perfect. So I read it, um, and then Peacock came out with a series. So Jake and I are currently watching this series, and it is so good because we both read Taylor Jones and the Six, and we were worried because it's the book is documentary style, almost to the point where you feel like it's a real documentary, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, so the show is so good; it's cast so well. Mm-hmm. The costumes are great. It's so like seventies rock band, mm-hmm. free love. Like it's so good. The book's so good. I just I encourage you to both read the book, which I promoted before, but now also the show that's on Perfect. Peacock for free if you get the commercial version. Love and it. that's all. <gasps> Sorry. So I am also good because I, separate of all this, I didn't know that Taylor Jenkins Reid was such a like prolific She's author. Prolific. <laughs> I have so many of her books on my thing. And I, I would never put the three book, like the three books that I know that she wrote together and be yeah. like, yeah, they're the same author. Because like usually people like stick to their real house. Yeah. Or like Malibu Rising or like Carrie Soto is back. Like all those have different themes. I don't even know what those are. Exactly. One's about tennis and one's about a surfer, absent surfer dad oh. with his three surfer okay. kids. They're so great. So I read 
last week, Forever Interrupted mm-hmm. by Taylor Jenkins oh, Reid. Makes you want to die. Wrenching. Makes you want to die. Um, yeah. And it's it's really it's I don't know why I'm doing this to myself, <laughs> but I've been consuming a lot of spouse dying content because I can't remember if I promoted the show Shrinking, but it is also about a spouse dying and like kind of dealing with that and like it's absolutely heart wrenching and now I'm having like nightmares about Casey passing away. Sure, um, but I, which is clearly likely because he lives an outrageously dangerous life and i'm not even joking like he just really does not like you know no but he works he, he on works rooftops. on roofs he works on rooftops yeah he works on roofs and he doesn't eat and he is stupid <laughs> that's what the woman at patient first told me he has this horrible infection and she goes you are dumb she goes your wife is smart she goes i cannot believe you did not come to the doctor sooner she goes you're we could have chopped off your hands i'm you cutting out that clip and playing it at your <laughs> 10th anniversary <laughs> At our vow renewal. Yeah. <laughs> I did love, he, he came home and he goes, well, you were right. You should have gone to the doctor sooner. Uh, and the nurse told me that. Um, <laughs> so anyways, forever interrupted. It was really good, especially because like at some point in the book, you're like, okay, like you knew him for six months. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. It's, it's like, calm down, <laughs> but it's great. But it's like, but then like you kind of go back. It's like, a, she does such a good job of making it like, you're like, okay come on and then you're like oh i like i'm really feeling right it's yeah she's so good at she's that. a great writer so carrie soto's back is just about tennis and i thought there would be like a story in there <laughs> just it's about tennis it's just about a woman playing <laughs> tennis and at the beginning i was like this is kind of boring like i don't really get it and then by the end i was like my god i fucking love tennis <laughs> What is happening? She's, she's so good. She's such a good author. Yeah, she is. All right, so there we go. The, the total recommendation is just Taylor Jenkins. The Reed. whole, the whole the recommendation. Whole recommendation. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. We love you so much. We appreciate you. If you want to stick around for some more bonus content, you can join our Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. You can buy us a drink and have more fun with us than you ever expected to have in your entire life. So I think as part of Patreon <laughs> this week, I'm going to take the section that we cut earlier and <laughs> add it to our patron account. I love that. Okay? So it's going to be part of what we talk about. So, so now you can fill in the blanks, so to speak. <laughs> um, but if you can't do that, which we totally understand, mm-hmm. you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Hooray! For free. Just give us a little five star. That would be wonderful. Just be like, thumbs up on these bitches. Allie's too loud. (laughs) I wish you would shut the fuck up and stop saying the word chaotic so much. (laughs) I did. One of the bad reviews was like, that laughter is unbearable. (laughs) Or something like that. You know what? Then don't have fun with us. We don't need it. We're having a good time. Um, So if you can't handle it, uh, so what? (laughs) um but anyways yeah go do that follow us everywhere we're on the internets um we're not on tiktok because we're too old Mm -hmm. um but never forget (laughs) well-behaved women think sports are for boys yeah they do and they rarely make history goodbye Goodbye. (laughs) all right